welcome to the 55-1 podcast. I am Jeff Ruder, and joining me this week are some familiar voices, but not that familiar voice, not that bald head that tends to be rubbed every time I do introductions. Instead, we have two co-hosts here. Uh, sitting across the room from me, we have Jake Ruder. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm yeah. not Wes. You're not Wes. And also not Wes is Alex Schieferdecker uh, calling in once again. Alex, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I was trying to figure out, if you combine our ages, we could probably write for the Star Tribune. <laughs> uh, good bet. We could maybe hold a candle for Sid Hartman. Maybe. We are, we are all younger. We are young. Combined, I think we would be one of Sid Hartman's children. <laughs> Ooh. So needless to say, it's, uh, it's promising. Here, having the three of us do this today. Um, we've got a lot. Uh, we've got a lot that we want to cover today. First off, we've got to once again, for about the eighth straight week, cover the downfall of the NASL and the New York Cosmos. We're going to cover some Minnesota United concrete news, finally. We have two players, players that we knew we would have, and we have a coach. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about MLS Cup playoffs, and then we are going to do live a mock expansion draft for Atlanta United and Minnesota United. I don't know either of their picks. Uh, Jake, who will you be picking for? I'll be picking for the good guys, Minnesota. Okay. And Alex, you'll be picking for? I'm picking for the bad guys. I'm picking for Atlanta. You know, part of me was hoping you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to be picking for LAFC anyway. And (laughs) neither of us are going to be picking Atlanta. So uh, we've got a lot to get through. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, Big Quarters is the band. Graciously gives us their music. Does pretty well with it too. So uh, let's cue them in and then we'll get going with the good, the bad, and the weird. And welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast Junior Edition. I'm Jeff Reuter. Sitting across from me is Jake Reuter, and Alex Schieferdecker is also on the horn with us here. Uh, so, first things first, where's Wes? Which, you know, actually would probably make a pretty decent children's book series, wouldn't it? Where's Wes? Yeah. What would Where's Wes wear? If Where's Waldo is in white and red stripes, what does Wes wear? Over. I mean, I think I think it's I think you have to find the bald head and the glasses, and that's it. Yeah, and maybe overalls too. I could see the overalls, uh, some skinny, skinny overalls. Yeah. Um, Wes is actually busy. He's celebrating. He got his PhD today officially, so he is now a doctor of single entity soccer leagues with a concentration in all things Chivas. Uh, in fairness, he did start this in 2011, 2010, give or take. So Chivas seemed like a good prospect at the time. Yeah, it must. So be. it's t- the the entire lifespan of the NASL has been also Wes completing his PhD. You know, if at the beginning of this whole thing, if we would have actually taken a bet of what would have lasted longer, Wes working on his doctorate or the NASL, I don't know what I would have picked. I'll be completely honest with you. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we'll go ahead and go with the good, and the good would be. Probably the most entertaining MLS Cup playoff I can think of in recent history, certainly. Um, and specifically the Canadian caper. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I watched it with you, Jake. Alex, did yeah. you have any major thoughts on the Canadian uh, derby? Oh, I watched the whole thing. I mean, that was really fun. You know, incredible atmospheres, both in Montreal and in Toronto. And, uh, I, you know, I was just rooting for the home team to score. Because I wanted to see people go ballistic. 
Mm -hmm. And the series absolutely delivered in that respect. I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and, and with the exception of when Montreal went up 3-0, and it looked like Toronto were dead in the water, but when, once they started to come back, you got the sense that anything could happen. I mean, there was, there was, there was nothing out of the realm of possibility in that series. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I haven't watched a soccer game in a long time where I sat up in my seat, put my hands on my head, nearly leapt to my feet, uh, was gesticulating for penalty calls, uh, and not even for one team over the other. It was just, the chaos was so delicious that I just wanted more. Can you imagine if Minnesota's in a situation like this in a few years, and uh, or in a decade, who cares, whatever, and you're in the stance for that. I don't think that you're going to make it, Jake. I'm, I'm not going to survive. No. no. Yeah, no, th- there'll be a little puddle where, where I used to be. <laughs> My clothes will be neatly folded on the bench, and that'll be it. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, there are plenty of spots to listen to for better coverage of Toronto and Seattle, who've been following them all season. I implore you to go look for those. And, uh, of course, if nothing else, Extra Time Radio is going to be stacked uh, with coverage about this game here. Uh, for you two, though... Uh, Jake, we'll start with you. What is your prediction for MLS Cup this Saturday night? I'm going to pick PKs, and I'll take Seattle. Uh, mm. I'm not going to pick a PK tally, but feels like the story's been too good to be true for Toronto, given their history, and losing in PKs is about the most gut-wrenching way that this could end, so that's what I'm going to take. <laughs> Fair enough. Alex, what do you got? I got Toronto. I mean, I think that you saw in the Montreal series, uh, Giovinco like didn't play well, and Bradley didn't have some great moments, mm-hmm. but Altidore stepped up. And if I remember in the game against Philadelphia, it was Bradley who was just dominating. Yeah, I think that they have too many. For Seattle, it's Ladero and maybe Morris. And if And if he's not clicking... They're really in trouble. And for Toronto, there's always... I mean, you got Tassant Ricketts coming off the bench. I mean, they they have the really two tremendous fullbacks overlapping. They have so many different options. You got my man Nick Hagland, you know, on, 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 on set pieces. I mean, I think that Toronto have just so many options to, to, to hit you. And, and Seattle are led by one really brilliant player, but I I, I, I got to give the edge to Toronto. I can't believe you're discounting Nelson Valdez so quickly. The man <laughs> is a playoff legend. But he's gone, what is it now, 90 minutes without scoring a goal? So it's over. Another Back goal in the goal. box. Yeah. <laughs> so 92 minutes, something like that. I, uh, I think I'm going to pick Seattle here. I like the depth Ooh. of Seattle a little bit better. I, it's, there's something magical about everyone's favorite associate deacon, Brian Schmetzer, and having him come in, and the work that he's done with that club, the belief that that locker room has, and, uh, I mean, ultimately, it's going to depend on how fit Javinko is. Because I think that Jordan Morris, while he's also a little bit banged up, he played the full match, even though he had the flu. Uh, So I I think that he's going to be good to go, and I haven't heard any reason not to think he would be, but... I haven't heard an update on Javinko yet. I also won't admit to have looked for an update on Javinko very seriously. Uh, Kurt Larson, if you're listening, haul at you, boy. Um, but I'm picking Seattle in this one. I think it's going to be an extra time, not PKs. So 
Okay, Br- brief aside about Brian Schmetzer, I think he's great. I-, I love the look. You're right. He looks like an associate Deegan. Good for him. He's stuck with the club. But Siggy Schmidt never got to manage with Nico Ladero. So he was fired right as Ladero came. So I think that the difference to me in Seattle is Ladero. I mean, mm-hmm. Brian Schmetzer, I'm sure, has done a great job. He clearly has not ruined the team. But I'm not convinced that if Siggy Schmidt had stayed on, Seattle would really have still, you know, been in the tank. And Ladero is a special player. No doubt. I mean, if you're looking top to bottom, I know that he was only there for, what, 11, 12 regular season matches. 2015's most impactful player was Javinko. 2016's was Ladero, and we finally get to see them go head-to-head. I... He won Newcomer of the Year, and he played less than half the season. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely unreal. Uh that said, I can't think of a single player who got snubbed in that regard. It was just, I saw that uh, short list come out and I said, yeah, it's Ladero and moved on to whatever was next. So uh, it's going to be a great game. Definitely watch it. It's on Big Fox on Saturday night. So make sure to watch that. Uh, let's go on to the bad, a continuation of the bad for the last, I think, four weeks now, which is the NASL's future and it, how it looks like it is continuing to crumble here. Um, it started on I think last Tuesday, Pedro Heiser from uh, Fort Lauderdale Sun had tweeted something out about how the Cosmos were had informed all their employees that they had closed up shop. That ended up being not quite the case. Uh, but over the last week, what has come out is that, yes, the Cosmos have furloughed all of their employees. Yes, the Cosmos has released all of their players from their contracts. And uh, as I tweeted out last week, the Cosmos have managed to lose $30 million over the last four seasons. Um, I'm impressed by that figure, but I'm also not sure how unique it is. As far as for the USL or for the NASL? Well, I think for the NASL, it's pretty unique, but I would hazard a guess that if you looked at early MLS, and if you listen to the MLS owners today, they would still tell you that they're losing money at least when they're negotiating CBAs. Well, the big difference is that they are losing money, but the value of their assets is increasing. Correct, yeah, that's true. And that's not happening with the NASL, because none of these teams own their stadiums, and the NASL, I mean, being in the NASL right now is is giving teams exactly zero dollars of added value. Unless, unless you sell a lot of t-shirts. Of course, it's got to, and if you bring in all of these babes to your games and then give out free yeah. tickets to a bunch of thirsty men trying to get them to hang out with the babes, maybe, just maybe, you can spend three quarters of a million dollars in a transfer fee for a holding midfielder. Uh, things went bad from, from bad so, to worse. Go ahead. I just wanted to say, so so the Cosmos, I mean, the Cosmos thing is really interesting, and I think that we're, we're probably going to get a, a flood of a sort of pieces trying to figure out what went wrong. And I, I know that before this entire thing, I've sort of contributed to that because it was clear things were going south. And I'll, I'll probably write something else about it again because you got to get that, those clicks. You have to. Um, but I had I had a discussion with, with someone who was reasonably well-informed, you know, a well-informed person yesterday. Um, and we were talking about the cosmos and... This person, to some extent, at least def- from from my perspective, they defended the choices the Cosmos had made. In my view, the Cosmos went all in on a, a series of really unlikely things. They went all in on like winning the U.S. Open Cup. You know, this was something a real goal of theirs, and it's an incredibly random tournament. 
they went all in on this stadium. And to get this stadium done, they had to navigate New York state politics, which is a total morass. To me, those are really indefensibly bad choices. And I think that the Cosmos fans that I talked to going back to 2013 really seemed to understand that these were sort of bad choices. And I think that they were all sort of hoping that the Cosmos had a kind of a a plan B. If things didn't work out, they would sort of scale down and they would, you know, build more from the ground up. And they would bring in Nico Cranchard. Well, it's very clear that the Cosmos didn't have a plan B. To me, that's the real failing of the Cosmos. I, I understand, you know, why they played for some of these jackpots. I mean, the stadium, there's no doubt that if the stadium had gotten gotten approved that it would have been a real game changer and i've i'm sure listen the owners haven't run out of money they've just decided to cut their losses here as far as i know and i think that if the stadium had been approved if there was a stadium going up they would still be in it so i i understand why they went for these big plays but I, to me i just not having a plan b is a real i think it's a betrayal of the fans and i think it's bad i just think it's bad you know, management. I really do. I think that's the real story here, to be honest. Do you, I don't know, it, it was, this is open to both of you. Is there, could there have possibly been a way that the NASL could have continued play in 2017 without the New York Cosmos as its anchor? And we talked about this a little bit last week when it was uh, me and Wes, but the, 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 the safety net that the NASL had installed was that Fort Lauderdale can plummet and not pay their players and not give insurance to their players and they'll fold the next year after they're propped up. Ryo OKC will take 2017 off, come back in 2018, relocate to somewhere like Omaha, um, somewhere like St. Louis. I don't know, it was one of these other kind of middle um, Midwest cities and try again, but at least we'll have the New York Cosmos brand. Because realistically, if you're looking at just global football fans from across the world, it's pretty tough to say that there's a more popular brand among neutral, casual soccer fans than the New York Cosmos. Com- well, American brand. American brand. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say that, it, I mean, it's more than some of these more notable teams in, you know, South America and Mexico, what have you. It's, it's a huge brand in theory. So would there have been a possibility of having an NASL without the New York Cosmos? Well, there was an NASL without the New York Cosmos. I, I think that I think that there would have been. Um, I think that the real problem with the Cosmos is that they were the eighth team. You know, the, the NASL needed basically eight teams to have a credible league, and uh, losing the Cosmos would bring them under that number. I think that the NASL could exist without the Cosmos. The NASL's ambitions couldn't exist without the Cosmos, but the NASL could exist without the Cosmos. The the, the Cosmos brand is very valuable in theory but clearly after multiple years the cosmos ownership had not discovered how to properly monetize it so i think at least from the perspective of the league that is a brand you don't need you just need teams yeah i think it could have survived but there was a change in tact um when the cosmos came into the league and NASL started to ch- or think about challenging for Division One standing, uh, and the tone just became very different than what it was before the Cosmos entered the league. 
And so when you've got expansion teams coming in like Miami FC or San Francisco Deltas who are buying into this league setup that is predicated on what it's been since the Cosmos joined, how easy is it to go back to the way things were before they were there? Um, it could have been done, certainly. I think it would have been a challenge. Uh, and who knows? I, this is a long way from over, I think. Uh, and weird things happen in lower division soccer in the U.S. and Canada, and this, I don't think, is anywhere close to done. No, I would absolutely agree with that. I don't think Carlos Slim is coming in, as fun as that would be. Um it sounds like most of the potential investors, at least from what I'm hearing from places like Empire Soccer 442, they're all looking to just buy the brand, not necessarily keep a team on the field right now, but there's something sexy about saying that you're the owner of the New York Cosmos brand, no matter what you choose to do with it, um, and nothing screams sexy like Carlos Slim. So um, I'm sure that as the offseason goes on, we'll have much, much more. Like Sheaf said, we got to get them clicks, so we'll have some pieces coming out too. Um, as more comes to light, and uh, certainly today there was a, a major update that was pushed by Brian Korstad on 55-1, talking about how all but four teams from last season's NASL that hadn't already made a move to MLS or USL were now in negotiations with the USL to try to join in for the 2017 season. So lots of moving pieces. Um, one of Can I just make one more point? Uh, to me, this entire thing has been sort of reminiscent, at least in the style of, of like the financial crisis. And I don't want to minimize that, uh, obviously, earth shattering event. But you had these sort of these companies failing, you know, people in suits gathering in rooms, trying to figure out how to save Lehman Brothers or the New York Cosmos or whatever. And then eventually some of these firms that, and all these bad assets got bought. And I think, I mean, we talked just briefly hinted at the future and this isn't i think i think jake is right in saying this isn't going away because now usl and you know inherits a lot of these troubles now usl is the only second division league and we know what happened the last time usl was the only second division league it, it created the schism and led to the nasl so i i think that there's every everything about this is fluid and for the next couple of years i mean it would surprise me if usl really somehow consolidated and and gain stability. Uh, to me, I think that there's more sort of fissioning, there's more uh, changes to the structure that are going to come. And and this whole collapse really, uh, really necessitates U.S. soccer, you know, spending some time and really considering the lower divisions again, because it's clear that what they thought was the solution wasn't working out. Well, one of the, the clubs that U.S. soccer doesn't necessarily look over is FC Edmonton, which was the one club that hasn't been announced to be at least near death that is not in negotiations actively right now. I think that they're considering their options. They're not necessarily sold on the USL model. And so they're, they're, they're considering their options before they would commit to that. And uh, one other option that they would have is to take a gap year before 2018's expected launch of the Canadian Premier League. So they might be looking at a gap year. I uh, I put out a, a poll asking what they should do with their gap year with the choices of uh, work in dad's auto shop uh, go to the Peace Corps and um, take a backpacking experience through Europe. We had a couple other suggestions come in. Uh, Matthew DeWitt suggested that the FC Edmonton spends the year playing acoustic sets at the local coffee shop and crashing on their married friends' basement sofa. Eagle Eye Steve at Steve Hamlin 19 said they think that they're going to move to their aunt's cabin in Anchorage and just, you know, find myself, man. I don't even know me. 
And then uh, Jim Oliver at New Skull said that uh, the the shitty shop rat job by like three lengths. Get some money together, together, Edmonton. Really see what your options are. I don't know. What's uh, I guess just briefly, is it possible that they could really survive with a gap year? I mean, it would be really bad for them. I mean, as Steve Sandor has been has been howling into the wind uh, about the fact that Eddies have resigned their coach. And they, you know, season uh, ticket sales are apparently up, and no one's talking about it because you know the the league is imploding around them. And he's right. Um, I think it would be a colossal shame if that effort went to waste. I mean, if this really is sort of a turning point for the Eddies, boy, I, how disappointing if they suddenly don't have a place to play. Maybe they could take a backpacking trip through Canada, and you know, maybe team bonding the, experience. <laughs> Right, but someone could, you know, the, 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 I mean, the Whitecaps have a very close relationship with Edmonton. Um, maybe they could get Montreal and Toronto as well into town to play a slate of friendlies next year. To me, that is a way, you know, that they could maybe keep things going. I, I, boy, it would be, I, I think the Cosmos thing is really quite shocking, but, but we've seen that there were signs for a while. I mean, uh, you know, it weren't huge signs, but we knew that they were sort of in trouble. Uh, to me, uh, Edmonton sort of just folding because of apathy about the USL and waiting for the CPL. I, boy, that would be that would be such an unforced error, like such a disappointing casualty of this whole thing. Jake, any any further thoughts on NASL deathmatch? <laughs> no, I I'd agree with Alex, especially coming off a season in which. The Eddies made the playoffs. <laughs> they were right. they were really successful. They were playing their game so well uh, that man, it would just be a shame to have them sort of fall off until the Canadian Premier League would get started. Right. Uh, one other team that was in last year's NASL and likely is moving to the USL is the um, the late Carolina Railhawks. Uh, very briefly here, just because we want to move on to Minnesota United pretty quick here, Alex. Um, you blew up Reddit yesterday with, with a uh, opinion piece about, uh, with the, the word scourge in the title, which I think is pretty safe to blow up Reddit as long as you have the word scourge in the title. Um, so what do you have against North Carolina FC and how can you apologize to Neil Morris about what you're about to say? <laughs> Oh man! Everyone read the title and not the article, which I guess I should have expected. Welcome to but 2016. Yeah, my point was not that um, boring. These sort of there's this wave of boring team names, you know, San Antonio FC, St. Louis FC, now North Carolina FC, etc., etc., etc. My those names don't really bother me. What bothers me is when those names are paired with a crest, like the one that that Neil leaked. Uh, for the North Carolina FC, which is really, really vanilla. I think that one of the reasons, one of the huge reasons why Minnesota United's rebrand was so successful was because it had this great loon on the crest, this beautiful crest, and it had this symbol to rally around. And, you know, St. Louis FC has a fleur-de-lis on their crest. That's it. North Carolina FC has a star and some, you know, the colors of the state flag. Um, San Antonio FC has like the five blades of a of a like a shaving razor. I mean, it's just like none of these <laughs> none of these five. things. Oh man, none of these things have. What, what's a you know what's a fan of the team supposed to 
to rally around. I, I just want better identities. It's not about necessarily the name. It's not necessarily about the crest. It's about the whole combination. Give your fans something to latch onto. You don't have to have like a minor league baseball crazy name. You don't have to be the, you know, the the Nashville Isotopes or something. Just the Rumble Ponies. That's still my favorite. Oh, right. <laughs> I love the uh, the Toledo Mudheads are Lemons my. Are good too. Uh, t- I just think give people something, you know, something beyond a star, you know, or like a fleur de lis. I mean, come Close on. Close shave San Antonio isn't doing it for you. <laughs> if if the fans did that, I would if applaud them. It, that would do it for me. If they sing it to the Barbasol croon that you hear during those winter commercials, I would be all yeah. for it. Okay, see, our listeners in San Antonio... We've solved it for you. We've fixed it, yeah. Come on. Close shave San Antonio. I think it could work. I really do. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to dive right into Minnesota United FC. We'll talk about our official, yes, official head coach, our two official, yes, official fullbacks. And, um, is Tyler Pollock coming back? Uh, (laughs) we'll find out after the break. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. I'm Jeff Reuter. With me is Jake Reuter and Alex Schieferdecker. And uh, last week, we got three major announcements that were actually major and that were crucial to the club, you know, being able to take the field in three months, because that's what we're looking at right now. So uh, Adrian Heath is officially named the head coach. Justin Davis and Kevin Venegas are signed as the first two players who slot in as fullbacks here. Um... I don't know. I mean, none of Heath is relatively more of an unknown than Davis and Venegas. We know exactly what we're getting with Davis and Venegas. Um, but first off, I guess, does Heath excite you two? I haven't really talked to you two too much about Adrian Heath. Um, Jake, does uh, do you feel confident with him being the head coach? I wasn't super excited when it started to become clear that he was going to be the pick. Yeah, you were kind of a geo-truther. I through was. Through. And now that, see, doesn't that look like if we would have just held out, you all could have waited just like another he wasn't two the first weeks, choice. right? He wasn't um, the first choice. <laughs> but really, uh, after some reflection and seeing, I think what, I was starting to warm up to it the more I looked at his record and his his past and his history. And what really sealed the deal for me was, like the first day he's officially on the job, he's meeting with season ticket holders. He's at the local meeting with supporters. Um, he said all the right things in his press conference. And it's, it's seems like it's not going to take long for me to really buy the fact. And maybe this is just me wanting it to be true, but he wants to be here. He's ready to embrace this project and is going to give it his all. And that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I I look at someone like him, and I was at the press conference uh, and have chatted with him since once, and I think he felt really slighted by how his time in Orlando ended. I think that it was something of a fairy tale story for him. You know, he 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 with the the glass uh, Adidas Sambas walking through. You know, was able to help move the team from Austin, a kind of a, a terrible situation in Austin, go to Orlando, really get a city that's not thought of as a traditional soccer city or a traditional market for the sport to thrive, get into MLS, 
help design the new crest, help design the stadium, all of this, and then suddenly literally gets his entire assistant coaching staff fired out from under him, and then in the middle of a summer swoon gets fired after a year and a half on the job. And I think he's really hungry to show that, yeah, he's an MLS coach. It wasn't a favor that he was brought along, you know? So I, I think that, I mean, you mentioned his first day on the job. His second day on the job, he caught a red-eye flight with Manny Lagos and headed down to Argentina. And uh, they've been scouting specifically eight or nine guys that they're trying to sign as many of them as they can, <laughs> as long as they pan out. And then obviously anyone who catches their eye through the other run of play. Um Alex, do you have what it takes? Well, I'm excited about two things. One you already mentioned. I love the fact that he's got this chip on his shoulder. Uh, I think that'll be great. And he's got the experience, right, of being in this exact position. So you would hope that there are things that we haven't even considered that he knows are sort of pitfalls and that we can avoid. And the, the, the thing that I really like about him, the thing that I'm most excited about, is that he has a history as a coach of developing strikers. He was a striker himself, and... Under his reign, you know, Dom Dwyer became an excellent striker. Uh, Kyle Laren became an excellent striker. I think that that really bodes well. I really hope we can sign Christian Ramirez. And, you know, if if we draft in the first pick, Jeremy Ebobise, whose Twitter account is a must-follow, and I love the guy already, I really hope we, mm-hmm. I really hope we sign him. And I think that we will have two really really exciting talents at that position and we're giving them over to a guy who is shown that he can get the best out of that type of player to me that's really exciting so that's my number one reason for being on the on on board the heath train sure uh, when i talked with him about the fullbacks he made it clear that he was excited about them thought that they could both get minutes right away, compete for starting positions as well. Um, called Kevin Venegas's ball delivery Beckham-esque, which, uh, which definitely got MLS to love Adrian Heath even more. Uh, that's the, that's their safe word, I think. And then, um, yeah. mentioned that they were in negotiations with Christian, that they're in negotiations with two more of the NASL guys from Minnesota. So it's not necessarily the end of, bringing those kind of guys along. It's just that Davis and Venegas were obvious having, choices. Having Heath on board has got to help with negotiations with Christian. I know that he's, I know that there's a whole, you know, we, we've reported on it, but there's a dispute, you know, the team and the player don't necessarily agree on, on what he's worth. We've been over that. But the prospect of working with Adrian Heath, that's got to be appealing. I'd, I'd think so too. Um, they do need to sign some guys though. Uh, we've got to talk about Atlanta a little bit. First off, best TV show of 2016 was Atlanta. It's not even close. Watch it. Donald Glover writes, stars, directs it. It's fantastic. Atlanta United FC has gone. Meanwhile, they have 10 guys on the roster right now. Today, they announced their second designated player. First, they had winger Hector Vialba. Today, they signed Miguel Amiron, who's a 23-year-old. Signed him for $8 million, reportedly. And uh, he's a true number 10. He's 23 years old. He's quick. He's got great vision. Arsenal tried to buy him for $11 million, or was apparently preparing a bid this winter for $11 million. Isn't Arsenal always preparing a bid? I think 
<laughs> I'm pretty certain that Arsenal is preparing a bid just in case Kevin Venegas is Beckham-esque <laughs> and they are ready to offer $7 million as long as he can be Beckham-esque. Um, yeah, you're right. That's probably not a story about Arsenal. That's probably a story about, you know, whatever the Daily Mail thinks Arsenal might want. Which, which, uh, which, that's is, right. which is slightly less prestigious, but it is still impressive. Uh, Jake, you've got a, a piece coming out tomorrow. Uh, by the time we're recording this on a Monday night, it is still Monday night. It took a while to get started with some technical difficulties. Uh, Tuesday, you've got a piece coming out about the comparison a lot of people make for Atlanta and Minnesota. Uh, specifically, Colin Solberg tweets, At what point can I be jealous of Atlanta United signings? Today? A couple weeks ago? Yeah, sure, you can be jealous. But um, <laughs> what I'd say is that you can't be shocked that Atlanta and Minnesota are different clubs. They're different styles of MLS clubs. Um, basically, we have Atlanta here following the Toronto or Seattle model, which sounds really, really appealing right now since those are the two teams in MLS Cup this year. Uh, but remember that Toronto took 10 years to figure out what they were doing. Uh, and Minnesota has stated publicly that they're following Portland's path, Kansas City's path, uh, and they're not going to be spending $8 million to bring a player in from the Argent Argentinian League. Um, so, I mean, be jealous, sure. As far as sort of who's ahead, I don't think you can really compare the two on the same curve. Atlanta, I believe, as of writing the article that I wrote, had was announced as an MLS team something like 850 days before um, this weekend. Minnesota finished their last NASL game within 40 days ago. And so, and they consistently said, we're focused on NASL. Uh, we want to do the best we can in 2016. And in hindsight, that didn't work out so well. Uh, but I think as a fan personally, I would have been pretty upset if the club had said, you know what, we're just going to sort of bottle up 2016 in the NASL. Um, we're negotiating with players for MLS in August. And, uh, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna let the chips fall how they may. What I will say is that Minnesota wasn't just napping on the idea of MLS during the NASL season, and I think all told, I saw because I went to training once a week. They brought in probably forty players on trial throughout the season. Some of them were, you know, former Shattuck St. Mary's players that they were seeing if they could sign and stash in USL or something. Um, but they did bring in, I mean international players from places like Israel, places like Ghana, um, Hungary. You know, they, they brought in players that really could have been MLS quality. They had Kevin Kratz in for the Club Lyon game, and he ended up signing with Atlanta and then getting loaned out to Philadelphia, apparently, but we didn't know it was a loan at the time, um, for the remainder of 2016. But Minnesota passed on him. Also, at the time that we're recording this and at the time you're writing this, Jake, Minnesota United has two defenders. Atlanta United has zero. Right. Well, defenders uh, in name, though I'm not sure that either JD or Viva are defense first. But well, if, you'll, if you'll humor me, mm -hmm. I'd like to take this moment and walk us through some math. Great. If you don't mind. Hit it. Uh, Jeff and I, the sons of two math teachers. So it's only fitting, right? Only fitting. Uh an MLS roster is 28 players, correct? 
Let me do my math. Two, eight. Yep. <laughs> um, so if we assume, well, we know we've signed Justin Davis and Kevin Venegas. Mm-hmm. That's two. We Let's, for the sake of argument, assume that we sign Christian Ramirez and the two other players mm-hmm. that they're negotiating with. Now we're down to 23 slots. Mm-hmm. You take five players in the expansion draft, four players in the super draft, and assume they all make the 28-man roster, which is not a given, but we're going to just assume okay. that. Uh, and then let's say we take two players combined in the re-entry draft and whatever fake free agency MLS has. Uh, that gives us 12 slots to fill. And so what I would say is that realistically we're looking at needing 12 to 14 players in 49 days before training camp. And knowing you, one of those players is Will Johnson, uh, right? In my heart, okay, yes. Gotcha. One of those players is Will Johnson. Okay. Uh, Alex, so it's oh, not time to panic. Not yet? No. Alex, is it time to panic? No. Uh, the idea that we have, to, like, we're going to get compared to Atlanta for two seasons, and then people are going to forget about it. Maybe only one, because L.A. coming in 2018. I mean, nobody who, people aren't comparing, you know, Portland and Vancouver these days. They're just two teams in the league, and pretty soon will be just one of other teams in the league. I think that the idea that we don't have to, as, as, as Jake said, we don't have to, we're following a different model, and we don't have to, you know, what, what Atlanta's doing is really exciting as a fan of the league, but it has no bearing on how I think about what Minnesota's doing. I mean, you know, New York City FC made all kinds of splashes with their signings, and they were awful last year. And in year two, they still don't have a defense. So, <laughs> to me... To me, the, the the fates of these teams are not going to be really... I don't think they're really going to be decided by these guys like Hector Villalba and you know Kenwin Jones. I think they're going to be decided by the guys we take in the expansion draft and the sort of the depth players and the everyday starters that we have. These The DPs, unless one of these guys is the new Javinko or Ladero, which is possible, but unless that's the case, it's going to be a whole team effort. And it's going to be about coaching, and it's going to be about familiarity with the league, and its and its difficulties when it comes to travel. I just, we, whatever Atlanta does is great, and I love that they're pushing the envelope in certain ways. But it has no bearing on what Minnesota does. I will say with the the two DP signings, if I just had to guess how they'll turn out, I think that Elmiron's going to be pretty close to a Lodero type, not quite Javinko. I don't think he's quite as much of a goal scorer, and I think Lodero isn't a true goal scorer. He just gets in the right positions. Um, and next year, once MLS defenses have had a full offseason to scout him, I don't think he's going to get as many goals. So I think that O'Myron's going to be that kind of a player, but I think Vialba, honestly, having watched a bit of him, I think that he's going to be more of the Lucas Milano mold, and that's not a good thing. Um, you mentioned the expansion draft. Uh, let's dive right into that, if that's good with you. Yeah. Cool. So what you two did today is went through a mock expansion draft round by round, uh, quick reminders of the rules, five rounds each, and it goes, it's not serpentine, so it will be Atlanta, Minnesota, Atlanta, Minnesota, repeat. Um, every existing MLS club can only lose one player through this draft, so if Alex drafts Nick Hagland first overall, you can't draft Toussaint Ricketts later, for example. Understood. So, um, let's go ahead and go right through. Uh Alex, you said that you were Atlanta United for the sake of this. I won't make you do a Carlos Bocanegra impression. Um, and Jake, you do not have to do a Manny Lagos impression. Whew. So, 
uh, in character as yourselves. This will be very natural method acting, hopefully. Uh, who's going first overall in the 55-1 mock expansion draft? So with the first pick of the 2016 MLS expansion draft, Atlanta United will select Sean Johnson, goalkeeper of the Chicago Fire. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I have not heard these picks before, so I will be reacting in real time. Sean Johnson is a native son of Georgia. I think might actually be Atlanta proper. Um, yeah, he grew up in Stone Mountain. Sean. I don't know. Sean, I don't. Wow. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if Chicago will protect him. But I think that Atlanta already have talked to Chicago. They'll send them, you know, 50 bucks, 50 Garbo bucks. Mm-hmm. They'll leave him unprotected. He is a starting caliber goalkeeper for that team. Okay. I think he'll come off the board first. Okay. Um, there's also been talks that they're in trade negotiations, but I could see Chicago just holding out until the expansion draft. That would make sense. So Sean Johnson went first overall. That means that no Chicago Fire players. I know that is a destination team <laughs> that Jake was looking to pick that from. That one really hurt. So with the second pick, Jake, who do you have for Minnesota United? Uh, Minnesota selects Nick Hagland, uh, which will be no surprise to anybody who's heard Alex, myself, just about anybody talk about the defenders that might be available. Uh, he jumped over a bus in the second leg of that the Eastern true. Conference Final to mm-hmm. put a goal in and had another header just thundering saved off the line um i think he's a special player he makes some just head scratching decisions from time to time but he's a young center back uh that's to be expected and i think he's good value in an expansion draft all right so toronto is also off the board uh alex back to you for atlanta united second pick atlanta united uh i think they're gonna want to get some defenders in this draft and i think that uh, they'll pick Leonardo of the LA Galaxy. Uh, he's experienced. This he had played. He I think he had led the Galaxy in minutes in the past couple years. He didn't play much this season though, so he's a little bit surplus to requirements there. Uh, he's not that old. I think he's the really the perfect sort of veteran defender uh, for Atlanta. You wrote the defender piece, right, Chief? I did. Yeah. Did you mention Leonardo? No, I didn't. Covert. I like it. All <laughs> yeah. right. So I, I've 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 reconsidered. I, I think I think that I think that he I, I'd love to have him in Minnesota. Um but he's 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 just experienced and he was very, very good and he just didn't play very much this year. So it's actually that's a, a big pick because it also negates any Galaxy players, including my latest man crush and my man crush since twenty twelve, Jose Villarreal. Right. Uh, who is no longer an option for Minnesota. Minnesota, what's the second pick? So at some point in this draft, I became convinced Alex was just picking players to block teams so that I couldn't take other players <laughs> from those teams. Uh, with with the fourth overall pick, Minnesota's second pick, I selected Christian Dean, a center back from Vancouver. Um, he played last season, played sometimes this season, I believe. He's a young... Uh, U.S. international. Well, I don't know if he's a full international. I'm not sure. If he, he was in Camp Cupcake not. once. Yeah. Camp Cupcake, great. Or Strudel was it? Camp Strudel. Um, <laughs> he's definitely a project center back, uh, and we have seen firsthand here in Minnesota how hard it is to identify solid young center backs. And to the extent that you're able to take flyers on players like Christian Dean uh, in the expansion draft, I don't think you could pass them up. Sure. Uh, so Vancouver is off the board for the rest of the picks. Um, Atlanta, fifth overall pick, your third selection. Who do you got? 
I got uh, Atlanta picking Gonzalo Verone of uh, Red, uh, you know, Rosin Ball Sport, New York. Rosin Ball Sport, yep. <laughs> yeah, so he's a forward. He's he's a wide. He's so he's a winger. Um, and he's a he's a DP. But um, Matt Doyle had a write up about him. Matt Doyle, MLS analyst, had an article about five players who could go in the expansion draft. He listed Verone and listed him going to Atlanta. Uh, it's not hard to see why. He, he's an Argentine. He's uh, he really hasn't gotten a look in in New York, which is quite interesting, despite being a DP. Um, but as Matt Doyle pointed out, his actual production when he's on the field has not been bad. So I think if you are Atlanta, you've already got one uh, DP winger. You've got a DP number 10, uh, getting Gonzalo Verone paying down his DP salary so he doesn't count against as a DP, I think that makes a ton of sense. So you've got an attack fleet for Atlanta United going left to right of Vialba at Uteno Myron, on the right Verone, and up top Kenwin Jones. Yeah, that that's, sounds pretty scary to me. That's not bad at all. Uh, Minnesota United, your third pick, sixth overall, who you got? Uh, at this point, I realized that all of the teams who had goalkeepers that I liked had already been scratched from the board except Zach McMath. Coming to Minnesota, as we saw the hot rumor that Minnesota was interested in in him <laughs> this last week. I don't regret it either. Um, I don't regret what I said in return. <laughs> so, Zach McMath got a raw deal this year. Uh, Colorado was already a brick wall before Tim Howard arrived. Um, part of that, thanks to Zach McMath, uh, he does commit howler from time to time. He's a young goalkeeper. If you're noticing a trend here, I, He's I don't a perfect expect fit for Minnesota. I don't expect Minnesota to uh, be world beaters in year one. I don't even expect them to really compete for the playoffs. What I what I hope to see is that we we have a core of young players who are allowed to develop together. Uh, and this is just another piece in that puzzle. The uh, the transfer rumor Jake was alluding to MLS transfers that vaunted Twitter account tweeted out source. Minnesota United interested in Zach McMath should he become available and I I quote tweeted it by saying source Minnesota United interested in forward Sebastian Javinko should he become available because there's hundreds of players in this league that United would be interested in if they were available and I thought it was a shitty rumor so I quote tweeted it with a Javinko one and within one minute that account had blocked me on Twitter as well as Wes and Andrew Lovegren it was just one fell swoop and I think my life is a little bit better because I did that so my condolences whoever the intern at MLS transfers is for making you click the block button uh we've got four more picks to go Atlanta United who do you got in the seventh slot uh, I got Kofi Opare, defender of DC United. He's another player who uh, has sort of not always been the first choice, um, and we saw him as surplus when we when we went around and did our protected players. Uh, but he's a young defender. This is a theme, uh, and I think that he's a good player. I just like him. I think that Atlanta. You know, we picked a more experienced defender early on, and now I think that we'll pick a younger defender as well. Yeah, so to recap, right now we've got four center backs, three of which you could probably still call prospects to some degree. You've got two goalkeepers, and then you've got a DP um, winger. So that's what we're looking at with the first seven picks. We've got three left to go. Minnesota United, who you got? 
Uh, Minnesota's going to select Harry Ship, a uh, central attacking midfielder from Montreal. I was a little bit surprised that he was still available at this point. Um, in a lot of ways, Harry Ship sort of reminds me of the same type of player as Ben Spees was for Minnesota this year. Uh, uh, an American central attacking midfielder who has been stuck behind somebody uh, at their previous club. Uh, maybe Harry Ship's parents will get tickets to Minnesota United since they previously <laughs> had season tickets in MLS. Fingers crossed. Uh, so um, it just makes sense for me. He's a good player to take a flyer on and was also one of Matt Doyle's picks. So, When in doubt, Doyle out. All right, we got one pick per team each. Montreal is off the board, so it won't be Damaduro. Atlanta, who are you taking? With your- well, just the, the story behind that chip thing is that his mom called the fire to cancel her season tickets <laughs> after her son was traded. Best story. <laughs> Hello, I am Harry Ship's mother. Please yeah. discontinue my season tickets. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. All right. Uh, so with uh, with the Atlanta's last pick in the expansion draft, uh, I took Cedric Mawati uh, forward of the Columbus Crew. Um, he's like a, I mean, he's just kind of destined to be sort of an impact sub, and in truth, he has not been as impactful as you might hope for the Columbus Crew. But once in a while, he does something totally ridiculous, um, and he you can see he's talented. Uh, I think he's probably too inconsistent for Columbus to spend a uh, protection spot on him, um, but he's sort of on the borderline for them, and I think that he would be a very good addition to Atlanta's attacking core. They could bring on someone who just offers something a little bit different. I think he can play a bunch of different positions up top. Um, and he's just He's just, you know, an electric sort of impact sub, depth player. I think that that's what Atlanta will be going for. Sure especially with two young wingers who would be pretty new to the league still right. um, with yep. what you've currently got set up. Uh, teams remaining for Minnesota United to pick from our FC Dallas, Houston Dynamo, New England Revs, New York City SC, Orlando City, Philly, Portland, Real Salt Lake, San Jose, Seattle, and Sporting Kansas City. Jake, with Minnesota United's final pick in the 2016 55-1 mock expansion draft, who are you selecting and why? Minnesota is going to pick Ray Gaddis make you happy jeff Uh, right back from the philadelphia union ray gaddis was a solid player in mls solid defender uh, and then philly drafted keegan rosenberry who played every minute of 2016 uh and was really very solid uh gaddis would bring some veteran experience to a back line that as i've built it out through this draft doesn't have a whole lot of that at the moment Uh, and he'd also be competition for kevin venegas uh which I think it's been sort of a a weird thing for me to start realizing that we might have enough depth to have competition for spots uh, <laughs> across the back line this coming year, which is something that I'd really embrace. Uh, and bringing in somebody who's seen a lot of MLS is definitely a good way to do that. So uh, players that I think that you guys missed, <laughs> um, there's only really two, maybe three that I thought both teams could use. Um if Victor Uloa was available from FC Dallas as a true number six, if Jerishan Kofi was left unprotected and available from New England Revolution, and then uh, Tyler Turner, a right back who is just a younger, more raw um, version of what you get with Ray Gaddis. So I think I'd prefer the Gaddis pick to that. But he is a player that Adrian Heath highly praised in his time in Orlando. 
Um, and I get a I get a special shout out to Oleg Sanderson, the Seattle Sounders. Yes, I know I I know I didn't pick him, but if I had a six pick or if Mobati was not available, I probably would have picked Anderson. So don't worry, uh, buddy. I know Alex totally listens to this. And I'm I'm really disappointed that Jake did not pick him yeah, for I Minnesota. Alex is hard. Yeah, it was really sad. <laughs> I don't want to see those emails. We've got a few Twitter questions we're going to burn through here as we close off this episode of the podcast. Uh, David Zeller at Texas Zeller says, HBO suggests that I watch Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Should I watch it or just go ahead and punch myself in the dick? Um, I think it depends on the cut of the movie. (laughs) Um, As far as what the cut is. uh, I think if it's the theatrical version, I think yes, go ahead and punch yourself in the dick. If it's the director's extended cut, open your door, put your dick between the door and the frame, and just smash it because it's going to hurt longer just like the director's cut. Do you guys have any deep opinions on Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice? No. Nope. Alright. Michael Deenan at this underscore is underscore Mike underscore D Why is Minnesota United dragging their feet on kits? You'd think with the holidays it's a dollar 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 opportunity. You would think, wouldn't you? You would think. I mean, the answer is because they're behind. Because you know they 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 probably don't have the kits. Yep. In enough supply to sell them. Well, they they were focusing on the NASL, and um, I think sponsorship finalization. I'm not sure if they finalized one on time, and uh, I I haven't heard anything about if they're going to be releasing before Christmas. Um, so if you were planning on getting someone that you love or someone that you know like soccer but don't quite love yet. Um, Minnesota United kit, hand draw what you think the kit will look like, hand it them with an IOU, and see how sad they are when your design is more interesting than the one Minnesota has. Yeah. Ian Wilsey at Ian Wilsey says, who is the most likely homecoming signing? Jackson Ewell, Teal Bunbury, Ethan Finley. Uh, are there any Minnesota-based players that you want to see Minnesota United select or bring in? I would love to have Jackson Ewell, but I think that we will draft Ibobise because he seems to be the consensus pick, and from what I've heard, he's very, very good. So, uh, I, the other, I mean, I'd love to have Ethan Finley. I don't think we'll get him, but the answer would be Ewell, but I, I, I just don't think we will. My wishful, probably optimistic thinking is that Ewell has a somewhat subpar showing at the player combine. Uh, just because combines typically favor players who are uh, stronger in areas of just sheer athleticism. Um, maybe he falls a little bit. Maybe we can trade an international slot or some TAM, GAM, something. Move up and take you all in the, the middle middle of the first round. There you go. Uh, I'm going to give a shout to Callum Malice over in Montreal. I think that he might actually be available. And uh, as a true number six who actually did get minutes through their playoff run as well, but certainly isn't in their probably top 10 must-protect players list. Um, I think he'd be a good fit for Minnesota. Uh, Peanuts from Heaven at Heavenly Peanuts says, given your DP evaluation series... Oh, I tried to block that thing from my memory. (laughs) If you really want to tempt the fates, listeners, say that you're going to write a 24-week series about designated (laughs) players and then follow through on it. Woof. Uh, Any names on your DP holiday wish list? Um, Sam Attic Benro, I haven't forgot about you. Uh, if we need a transfer fee for Josh Gott, which I don't think we would because his contract is done in 26 days from when I'm recording this, um, I still wouldn't use it on Josh Gott because I think that I'd buy him down with Tam. 
Um, and I don't think Miguel Ibarra is a designated player. Do you have any names, any players that you just blindly want to name as targets? Because these are the kind of things that get clicks on SB Nation. No, because I don't want to know the name of the player we signed as a DP. Really? I, yeah. I didn't know who Diego Valeri was. I didn't know who Ignacio Piatti was. That's what the kind of DP I want. So I don't want to know who they are. Right. Any player who I already know about would be a DP is probably like we're paying too much for him because he's a name. <laughs> All right. So I don't want to know. That's fair. Uh, follow-up question here, which I think is more important, actually. If you could sign a designated host for the 55-1 podcast, who would it be? If I can go out and grab any host from across the world, um, I'm curious, who would you replace me or Wes with? Don't say who you're replacing, <laughs> but who would you grab as a designated host? There's Alex has the benefit of distance here because he can't get slugged from across the room. <laughs> uh, I would say Harry Redknapp. <laughs> uh, drinking time with uh, Harry would be amazing. Certainly, you'd listen to that. I would listen. We'd all li- we'd all listen to that. I think we would. Why not Jurgen Klopp? Why? Why wouldn't I? I guess I could afford him in theory. Uh, I'm trying to remember what's uh, what's the name of the main host from Football Weekly. Um, uh, James Richardson. That's your pick. That's my pick. Not right. a sexy name, but I would definitely bring in James Richardson to co-host the podcast. Finally, last question, Tyler at the Death Loon. Is it too late to ask a question? Yes, it is because we're out of time. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank Sharp. You. Ooh. I know. Ooh. Yeah. Um, that was harsh. <laughs> well, he's got to ask earlier next week. <laughs> and you better believe he's going to ask as soon as he listens and send me about 50 fucking questions. And I'll have to answer... All of you them. owe it to him to answer everyone after that dismissal. So, I actually answered the question he asked after that. Thank you for listening to the 551 podcast. Uh, you can find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. If you do listen through iTunes or if you don't, just go give us a rating. It helps people find us um, and gives us the warm and fuzzies in time for the holiday season. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Jake, thanks for stopping on in again yeah thanks for having me uh, alex thanks for uh, doing what you do yeah and we will be back next week with probably more news about the nasl because why not at this point have a good one listener <laughs>